Welcome one, welcome all to another episode of The Real Scholars. This is episode nine, I think, and we have me, Olivia, one of your hosts, joined as always by Miles. Yeah, um, I will go ahead, Kobe, introduce yourself, and then I want and to talk. Kobe. Oh, okay. Uh, I am Kobe, and apparently Miles wants to be introduced last. Like a narcissist, he is. Yeah, <laughs> I want the I want the final word. But no, I was. We've been kind of, sort of discussing this over the past few, or I guess all the podcasts. But we never know how to introduce ourselves, or we never know how to start each thing or end each thing. Um, so I don't know. We can probably just come up with that really quick right now. So yeah, I think that the best intro I, I thought that we had from like editing so far is the one where you started with a shout. The one where you started <laughs> by screaming hello. That was probably the best one we've had so far. All right. Well, I, I will volunteer to officially kick off this episode then with a hello. That's not it. I don't. That's <laughs> the way to go. We'll, we'll keep it. We'll keep it like that for now. And then Olivia, at the end of the, the episode, you can scream goodbye. Uh, and then that okay, Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds like a plan. Yeah. All right. Uh, so this week we're talking about Inception, which, uh, you know, in case you haven't heard of Inception, which I assume you have if you're listening to a film podcast, uh, it's directed by Christopher Nolan and it's from 2010. Yeah. Uh, Starring Leonardo DiCaprio, among others. Yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, yeah. Ellen Page, and those are the only important people, I think. Those Elliot, are the main characters, yeah. I mean. Like. <laughs> uh, it's definitely, I, I was just thinking uh, uh, when you said that uh, you probably heard of it, um, it is a very popular movie, and I'm not really sure why. It just, reached, um, it just reached one million uh, watches on, on Letterboxd, which is the first really? movie on, on that website. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm not really sure why, not because it's like bad or anything. It's just that it's quite a confusing movie. So like, it, it's interesting to me that so many people were still able to enjoy it. Cause I you know, like it takes a few watch throughs to really I, grasp it. Yeah. I want to get to that point right off the bat. Um, how you say it's confusing. I actually think the exact opposite because here's why. Um, and this is, I'm going to preface this by saying I did not like inception. Um, I, I thought it was like, so, so here, here's what I think, right? So you have all this dreams within dreams stuff. That's, that's like the basic mm -hmm. point. It's, it's like the conceit comes first, right? You have this, um, sci-fi conceit that comes first and, uh, Nolan is very sure to every step of the way, let you know exactly what's happening through these classic expositional dialogue which i guess he's become known for especially with tenet which I, I imagine i haven't seen it but i imagine it's very similar to this one um and so the characters will let you know exactly what's going on so i yeah. wasn't confused as to what was happening for the most part but there were some parts where it was like it wasn't confusion on the part of the director in the sense that like I, there was never any mystery of like i have all the puzzle pieces i just have to put them together there was just some weird editing in, in the action scenes and just questions i was asking myself like why am i watching this or why do i need why is this scene like important to the story because i think especially in the final act um there are some action scenes that don't really progress anything other than like kind of reminding you that a lot of stuff is going on yeah, I definitely also kind of watching this the second time around, I guess the first time I watched it, I did find myself to be more intrigued by everything and wanting to see if there was any hidden, hidden meaning behind like the actions. But the second time it really just became more like any other action movie, you know, like I, I wasn't really trying to actively decipher any like stuff that was going on in the movie because I just didn't really feel a need to. And I also did feel like it definitely comes across as a little bit more obvious. Yeah, no, I think the, the obvious part of it, like you guys were saying with all the exposition, um, sort of making it clear, I, I understand that part. It was more for me, uh, well, okay, partly I bet it was because I watched it for the first time years ago. And so I probably had no idea what was happening then. And so then the idea of it being confusing has just stuck with me. Um, but I don't have a particularly hard time like understanding what is happening in the movie. It's just the concept as a whole 
it, it just like opened so many questions of like, you know, within this world with these rules, like how does this stuff work? Like, you know, who can, there, there's just so many different uh, sort of pathways to take it because it is such like a, a unique concept. Um, and so that was, that was sort of what I was referring to by the, the confusing part of it. Mm. So you were thinking more in terms of like the world that this exists in rather than the actual circumstances. Yeah. Like the, the movie is, is, uh, the story that is happening within this world that the movie creates is somewhat easy to follow just because they turn at the camera, stare you directly in the eyes and explain to you exactly what's happening like every three minutes. Yeah. But <laughs> or, or you have, or you have Ellen Page's character whose only role in the entire script is to ask dumb questions. So you feel like you're Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, cause I don't want to get canceled. It's Elliot Page. Uh, second oh, of all, right. I forgot that they did that <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay we can just we can just move on but i just want to make that clear so anyway but yeah um that character like this movie has so much of like i think it's the most that you know how in the wolf of wall street that was like the most uh fucks ever in a movie said or just like 500 600 something this is mm -hmm. probably the movie where they've said the words why and dream the most that i've like ever seen yeah, uh, I don't. I wasn't counting or anything, but I just felt like they were saying those words a lot, uh, and it all kind of amounted to around the same thing of like, I mean, it feels like a thirteen-year-old came up with this concept and like wrote this concept, and the like the dialogue sounds like that. Like, yeah, it's like there. It's you know, you have these classic like cool characters, like you know, you know, she, she's the architect and he he's the thief and whatnot. They have all these yeah. like cool names or whatever, but it's. I mean, he obviously backs it up because he's Christopher Nolan. He's like a professional. So he has, you have the three-act structure and, and, you know, you have some good actors to back it up and, and all that. But the actual content, I feel, is not really <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah, for a concept that seems so deep and, like, so inquisitive, it's executed in a very shallow manner. I feel like the movie, it, it just seems like any other action movie. It follows the structure. The dialogue isn't really anything special. The thing that's really just carrying it is the idea, I guess, and maybe some of some of the members of the cast. Yeah, I mean, I like the. Um, maybe we can get into this more, but I like the action for the most part. But I mean, even then, it kind of becomes a little repetitive, uh, just in terms of like you know you have the just guys shooting at each other. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think Christopher Nolan when trying to make a new movie, like when he after he's finished one and he's thinking about his next project he just pops a tab of acid and waits for the ideas to come out. And then <laughs> it, it, none of these ideas make any sense, but then he just tries to uh, fill in the gaps to make them uh, work out. And so then you get a concept made by a five-year-old, but with the professionalism of a real movie. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then it, and then he, he and then it just fucks with his audience just kind of fucks you up. It kind of makes you want to learn more about it. And I guess this is like something that probably a lot of Christopher Nolan fans are just constantly looking at his work, trying to find a deeper meaning from it. But then like the more you watch it, the more you kind of think about it, you discover there really isn't one. There kind of is, I can see what he was doing. And this is, I guess, another problem I have with the movie of like, you know, I did read a, a positive review saying like, you know, all this, all this, concept stuff is just for show um but the real meaning behind it lies in um you know leonardo dicaprio's relationship with his, um his wife or i guess his character's relationship with his wife and and how uh that kind of plays out throughout the movie and i kind of see that and i understand that that's obviously what nolan was intending for like you know the takeaway theme to be but it's so obvious and pandering like the the way that her character is like the the wife and the children like you know he, he says okay you have a wife and you have children okay so there are your stakes now let's move on to the next action scene so it, i didn't really feel any of the stakes because i didn't care about the people that were like involved in yeah the stakes yeah. are kind of painfully bare and like stereotypical generic he just wants to get back to his family sort of thing and i can see how that doesn't really connect with all the action that's going on and the stuff like dream, like going down through layers of dreams, all all of that work just to get back to his family. It just seems a little like, it just doesn't really seem to align with the realm that they're going in very well, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like it's kind of two different stories being told. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't, I, well, it seems like Kobe. Do you? I mean, do you recommended this one, right? So you, you obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of one of those like fun action movies. It's just there's a lot of unique ideas in it, and so it's something that like if you're into mainstream action movies that you can put on and go, yes, this is a good movie. As long as you just don't think about it too much. It's it's definitely not a thinking movie. It's the movie you just put on and you watch and you're like, yeah, I get this. Which is strange because there's a lot of thinking involved with yeah. it. There's a lot of thinking that the characters are doing, but not that yeah. I was really doing. Yeah, but then they just they just explain everything to you in such a straightforward manner. You really just all you have to do is turn off your brain and you can still kind of understand it. It's yeah. easier to like turn off your brain than it is to turn it on. Yeah. yeah. If you want to be sucked into, you know, a movie with characters and plot and, and stuff like that. <laughs> characters. Yeah, there are no characters. In no <laughs> plot. Inception is, Inception is not that movie. But if you want to see a city fold on itself, then yeah, this is awesome. Watch. I like the effects a lot, too. But I mean, again, that's just something that like as it goes on. Oh, what is that one? The, the when, when they're in the hallway of the hotel. Like yeah, that the, was oh really yeah, cool. that was, yeah, when it was like turning and gravity yeah. was and stuff yeah, like, I like that. I think the hotel scene was one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was when I was like, okay, this might actually like be better than I thought. And then I quickly realized, like, no, that's <laughs> kind of a distraction. It's um, it's just the it's just the Christopher Nolan crazy ideas that he gets. And then when someone gives him a bunch of money to do them, he's like, Yes. Like, Fuck yeah, let's do this. Yeah. Can do like <laughs> and then he builds an entire hallway set in a custom made rotating like yeah that was insane yeah behind the scenes so they can film it Um, okay um well okay just in case we've made it probably 10 minutes in and just in case you haven't seen inception and haven't googled it by now um i guess that the basic premise of this movie is we have leonardo dicaprio playing Cobb, and the main goal of him is to uh in they're trying to plant an idea, a seed into the mind of this child of a billionaire who's about to inherit an energy empire that's going to take over like half of the world. And there is a Japanese man named Saito who hires a uh, Cobb and his team to plant an idea into that per- into that boy's mind to kind of give up the empire so Saito's empire can take over. And the basic way that they decide to achieve this is by going through layers and layers of dreams and and try to mess and fuck with people's like subconscious subconscious beings to like get their message over, which is probably yeah. the worst premise of it. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say like in typical real scholars fashion, we explain the premise like after describing the analogy. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds uh, like actually, as you were describing it, it sounds way more interesting than than what it ends up becoming. Because <laughs> I think, especially in terms of like, again, I mentioned the stakes earlier. Like this this whole thing of the the son about to like inherit this corporation, um, that kind of presents, as you were saying, kind of at the beginning, Kobe. Like, it you imagine this whole other world that's going on outside of the 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 dream world which I think would be more interesting than, you know, just seeing the same like idea kind of just expanded upon, but very, very lightly each time. Like every time they ask a question, it's like, I wasn't really thinking that it's, it's kind of as though Nolan is like prepared for people to, to ask questions. So before you even have the thought of like, you know, how does this work? Or how does this work? He's just like, jumping the just gun ask, and answering right? it already. Yeah, they're yeah. answering questions that you don't even have yet, which is like, it, it's not really, it doesn't come across as maybe as smart as it thinks it is. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I would be more interested in that, like other, this like energy corporation in this world that like has um, people going into dream world and what that whole business is like. And, and you know, what's, I guess it would be difficult to, um, kind of portray the story of like these three layers of dreams while also you know being on the outside but then I guess my suggestion would be to like put less focus on the dream world and more on the outside world Um, yeah it's also very interesting because there's that one scene where um there's that one scene where he's first recruiting Cobb is first recruiting a chemist and like underneath the chemist's laboratory he's this entire bunker of people just sleeping there and then they're just talking about oh we come here every day to dream and that and like 
before that point, you kind of don't have an idea that other people outside of this team can, they do have the ability to like go into each other's dreams and stuff, but then they just suddenly like throw you into a room full of sleeping men and are like, oh yeah, these people also have that same ability. And you're just like, what? Like, that's yeah. something I want to know more about, but then it just, but then they just cut away and they don't ever explain it any more clearly at all. I think that might sort of just be a theme among uh, Nolan movies. It's yeah. just um, in the other movies, the character story is good enough that you don't sort of like, you don't want something else instead. Cause like with this movie, you, you see the world that Nolan has created and you, and you go, wow, there's so much potential here. And then the story is kind of meh. Uh, but with the other movies, the stories are better, you know, with Interstellar and, um, even with Tenet, like it, it, even if uh, I don't think Tenet was as good as Interstellar, but um, they have, you know, character stories that have more um, personable uh, characters uh, that you can really sort of like focus on and attach to. So you're not wondering, hmm, I wonder what he could have done instead with this idea. Yeah, um, I think kind of I, I it's been a while since I saw Interstellar and I can't really form a good opinion on it just kind of remembering right now but there is definitely a thing of like with inception it feels like it kind of on one end feels like they went as far as they could with this idea like you know dreams within dreams and how complicated that is but at the same time it feels like still even after having watched it it still feels like that was just an idea and maybe not really a fully fleshed out experience because i mean first of all like if you're dealing with the dream world, that's already so nonsensical and like trying to apply any sort of logic to that just seems weird to me. Maybe it's, I mean, I, I know that's maybe not the case for other people. Like obviously many people love this movie, but I think that I would kind of have preferred more mystery as to like the rules and logic of the world, especially since like everything just kind of looks mostly how the real world real world looks um, which is not remotely the case for dreams you know you, you have like whatever cartoon characters and other images and sounds and things going on in your mind that are like not just being in a hotel with anti-gravity which is still really cool but it's not even close to the extent of you know things you could put inside the dream world yeah, and I guess this all kind of traces back to this movie, as we established like in the beginning, being like the movie where you watch with your brain turned off, like they have all of these complex themes and ideas, but the moment you really start to think about them and evaluate them, it just doesn't really line up or make sense. So I guess this is the kind of movie where you really just like enjoy it like while it's happening, enjoy the action while it's happening, but you don't really go back to think, of, think about it after it's over. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I'm honestly, I'm kind of struggling to... It's two and a half hours long, but I'm struggling to like remember specific things that that stood out to me, I guess. Yeah, it, it's kind of kind of all blurs together because the whole movie is pretty similar. Like even though s stuff is happening, it doesn't really feel like the plot is progressing that much. Mm -hmm. So it kind of just like it's two and a half hours of uh, filler between action set pieces. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind yeah, of that's kind of yeah. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know if this is actually true, but it could have something to do with the fact that in real time, there's not actually much time progressing. Um, I don't know if that's the case, because I mean, there is time progressing, like while they're in these like layers of dreams, you know, as you go further, um, time passes slower, but but it's still like the, the, I guess it's just that the main conflict is so singular that mm -hmm. there's no real, it's only about the um, the struggle of the main character, even though there's this whole other like story about um, the the energy corporation going on. That's just kind yeah. of a means to an to an end. In fact, the whole movie is kind of a means to an end of expressing this singular idea about um, about Cobb's relationship with his wife and children. Yeah. And I also found it interesting how like the last 20 or so minutes of the movie, the main purpose of those scenes seemed to just be to provide an ending to events that they had already introduced in the beginning, like the entire scene with Cobb having that heart to heart talk with his um, 
with his deceased wife and stuff. It, it didn't really seem to progress the movie any further other than to just tie up the loose ends that were already provided in the beginning. But then in typical Nolan fashion, he kind of just leaves you again on like another loose end that he doesn't tie up with that last scene of the top spinning and then just cutting to black and stuff. What's interesting about that is I, I saw, I think it was an interview with Christopher Nolan um, where they, you know, like asked him about the ending, like, oh, does this mean that they were dreaming the whole time and there never were in like real life? And he was like, that's not the point. The point is that Cobb is happy. And so it doesn't even matter. I saw that exact, I saw that exact interview and I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what did it in? Like, yeah, that, was, like weird. that was the question that you wanted was like, the audience the point, to ask themselves. He's like, the question is not whether or not this is reality. It's supposed to be that Cobb has accepted. It doesn't matter whether or not this is reality, but he just gets to be with his family. Okay. And I was like, what kind yeah. of fucking ending is this? <laughs> you, you presented a huge movie, like a, a movie with all these complex ideas, dream stealing, like traveling between layers of dreams. And then we're just supposed to end with this man accepting reality. Like, yeah. And I can almost see where he was going with that. But I think that the literally, it just comes down to the presentation of that last shot where it like just slowly zooms in and, and the top, it just keeps on spinning and spinning for a really long time. And you can kind of see it fade out or, or kind of start to fall over before it, before it cuts to black. Um, but I mean, if he if he was gonna go that route, I feel like there's a way, be, a much better strategy for for conveying that, for conveying like his happiness instead of like lingering, like oh oh, is it gonna topple? Oh oh, like he's he's purposefully doing that in in that final zoom where yeah. it's, and, it's as though he yeah. wants you to think about like is this a dream or is the reality? So I think th- just coming down to the presentation, like if he had just focused on like Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, just leaving the top behind whatever it's doing back there he's left it behind he's focused on whatever that's like a a better way to convey that idea yeah i i think it's a i think it was a rather sloppy way to kind of tie up the loose ends in the movie like uh she just has Cobb go back to his children and nothing else really happens and I just felt like that was kind of sloppy it was kind of just all right this thing has gotten too long we gotta end this right now let's just have him like go back to his kids and be happy and pretend there's like a happy happily ever after ending and I just I just felt like that was really kind of out of like the tone and the mood that the movie had set in like the previous two and a half hours I guess agreed agreed I feel like this episode has been one of the most negative episodes we've had. Yeah, <laughs> negative than uh... okay. Should we should we go around and say something that we enjoyed about the movie or something that we liked? Yeah, <laughs> like after I finished watching this movie at first, I was like, hmm, I think we I think we're actually gonna have a pretty nice discussion about this uh, tomorrow. And then now we're just here bashing the movie. Well, it all just yeah. I think it just all comes down to the same problems that are just happening. Yeah. So there's not much to say, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, but but yeah, I, I can I can start off with something positive. Uh, I think um, well, I really liked the some of the action scenes. I liked how I appreciated the how he was able to like convey all this stuff, even though some of it was maybe mm-hmm. a bit sloppy. I appreciated that with how complex visually everything is. Um, I thought he did a good job of just controlling that, letting us know where we are, what's going on. Even the, not through the dialogue, I didn't like obviously the dialogue, but just visually and through editing, how he conveyed that space. Um, that's very complicated to do, uh, but you know, he's a professional at, at, at this kind of stuff, I guess. So I, I really liked yeah. how the movie just conveyed itself and was able to tell a story so kind of convoluted. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I really, I really just appreciated um, the cleanliness, I guess, of the scene changes because it wasn't really anything where you didn't know like where they are, or what they're doing. I guess that also like stems from the shitty dialogue where they tell you exactly what yeah. they're doing. But um, <laughs> the scene, the the scene changes, I guess, were um, pretty straightforward. It really helps tie the movie together and make it seem like it's really clean, which it is. But then like again like with Nolan you're not really supposed to I guess go in and really overthink everything and I guess I appreciated that and also like what you said um the action scenes I think that they were well filmed like uh, cinematography wise yeah I I would my biggest positive would be the action scenes as well too they're just kind of like they're enjoyable to watch and some of the set pieces are things that will just be ingrained in my mind forever whether it's like the hallway scene or seeing like 
the you know just a city like vertical against you i mean it's like those things are at least in 2010 especially were the ones that went that made you go wow like this is what i come to the movies for this is incredible um and it didn't look like cheap or bad it Mm -hmm. still holds up um yeah so i think that he nailed that part especially for being known as sort of a director that doesn't like to use c doesn't like to overuse cgi yeah Uh, was he did he notice that or was he at that time well he has that reputation it's not exactly warranted because there's like some people out there that are like christopher nolan hates cgi he just prefers to do things practically when he can okay which should be every director there were definitely like you could tell much of it was practical um and those parts were like it was noticeable like the preparation that went into it. it it's it sort of stems from the like you know the dark night like oh you know we can't flip a truck like uh with cgi that wouldn't look real let's put you know hundred thousand pound uh like gas springs on the bottom of a semi trunk truck and actually launch it into the air in the middle of chicago yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's just that kind of guy yeah um it's yeah. weird also kind of mentioning the dark knight i liked that movie much more than than this one and i every other i've seen the prestige yeah. Well, I think Memento as well. And I like those much more. I think part of the reason why, um, well, okay. First Memento, I think was better than this because the scope was smaller. It was like an $8 million budget. So I feel like Christopher Nolan's crazy mind was restricted a bit. Um, (laughs) And then I think, I think with the dark Knight, it was sort of the same thing, but instead of it being um, uh, because of the budget, it was because there was already source material of it. So he couldn't go like too crazy strain from that. Yeah. So I, I think that Christopher Nolan is best when his mind is not allowed to run free. I think that's the I think that's honestly the thing with almost all directors though, right? Because if they don't if they aren't presented with a limited budget or if they aren't presented with a challenge, most of them just end up making like hot shit. Maybe, but there's also, you know, plenty of movies that are good specifically for the reason that the studios let the directors run free. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it's it's kind of a weird thing to say because, like, when you say "run free," like that can mean many things. Like, if you, you don't want to ever make your movie too complicated, if there's no, I mean, I guess there's a few exceptions that come to mind, like, um, like you know, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which I talked about a little last week, or um, my favorite filmmaker, Paul Thomas Anderson, has a movie called Inherent Vice that is again like dealing with this this theme of, of drug use in like 1970s Los Angeles that is very purposefully uh convoluted but like you get the sense that he that's what he was trying to do um and like it has reason within the story um whereas this is inception is an example of somewhere like it's something where he has con- control over the story but where he takes it just like in his mind in terms of in terms of theme and plot and character is not really interesting like he's too uh, maybe it's not too convoluted it's not convoluted you can understand what's happening but he's he goes too far in the sense that he he cares more about the idea than he cares about making an actual movie you know what i mean um mm-hmm. i mean he he knows how to direct he knows how to do all this stuff this crazy technical stuff but but really making a movie with with characters and everything that like gives it like a core this felt like everything on the outside um that is not really what you need to make a good movie yeah i guess part of that also plays into the structuring of the movie i felt like also this movie really pretty strictly adhered to that typical three-act structure like exposition and then like the focal point and then like the falling action and stuff and i'm just thinking that for ideas like this one i think it actually would be more beneficial i guess to approach it with kind of a looser adherence to structure if that makes sense and rather play to like the elements where like the theme or your general idea takes you because um, mm-hmm. I did feel like it was I a little bit restrictive that, in that way. If, if that was executed well, I, I think it would be um, it'd be good. But I think it also has more potential for like disaster of just making it even more convoluted. That's true. Yeah. Um, it, there's already like enough layers to deal with in this movie. Uh, 
So I, I don't know. I, I think that that might be a little bit excessive unless it's done well, which the, yeah, the, unless it's the, done well, of course. The, the problem here is like the 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 the, the uh, idea of it and the whole movie really seems shallow because there's nothing really propping it up. You ha you have all this stuff that's like so pretty and stuff and and this really cool idea, but there's no foundation for it. They just kind of have to make it happen however they can. And, and that ultimately ends up just being characters explaining exactly what's going on. So mm -hmm. that's why it feels very shallow, I think, um, yeah. as opposed to, again, like what I think, yeah, when you're, when you're given less creative freedom, it forces you to be more creative within the, the space that you're given um, with whether that's a lower budget or like, you know, an already, uh, already sourced material that you have to, that you have to kind of work with. So you have to, you only have a limited, you know, amount of Play-Doh and you have to make something that, that, that works around that instead of just having this whole thing of, of, of Play-Doh that you don't know what to deal with. That was a bad allegory, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, what are your guys' final ratings on this movie, I guess? One to 10, including decimals. <laughs> including decimals. I don't do yeah. decimals, but I would, I do, um, if, if anyone has recognized my my rating scale, then you watch Anthony Fantano. But I would give this a strong four. I'm kind of conflicted because like as a movie, I would probably give it an even four, not a strong four. Um, but I'd probably bump it up to like a six personally, just because it, I don't know, it, it was still enjoyable to watch, even if it wasn't a great movie. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go right in between you guys and just rate this like a mellow five, I think. A mellow five. Because <laughs> I think the first time I watched it, I was, I got a little bit too hyped and excited about watching the movie. And that probably influenced my rating a little bit. But I guess watching it the second time around, it kind of just really brought my attention to exactly what kind of movie this is. So I think I'm just going to rate it a five. All right. Sounds reasonable. Okay. Right. Well, uh, that was our discussion of Inception. Uh, should we transition over to Kobe Conversion Camp? Yeah, yes. Yeah. This week for Kobe Conversion Camp, I watched Punch Drunk Love, which uh, is an Adam Sandler film, but with none of the usual tropes of Adam Sandler. Uh, so I don't really know how else to classify it. It's, uh, was it low budget? I feel like it wouldn't be low budget. It was $25 million. Okay, that's, that's about what I would expect. Um, so yeah, relatively low budget film, um, pretty much right in line with Adam Sandler films. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, it was a story about um, a man who owns a business and uh, calls a phone sex line and ends up getting scammed. And then it's sort of just all the misfortunes that happened to him in relation to that and not in relation to that. Um, and, and so it, it's kind of like a, a character focused um, story but I didn't like it. I appreciated it as a movie, and I thought there were some there were some really uh, well juxtaposed shots. Um, that there were it, it was it, it, I caught myself a few times going like, "Hey, yo, that's that's a good that's camera." Sick. <laughs> uh, um, but aside from that, I found um, it a bit annoying as a movie. Uh, it, it just, it didn't seem to me like the story went anywhere or had much of a point. Like there was no, it didn't really seem to me like there was any character growth or, um, or, or goal or change at all. Um, it was just sort of like a slice of life, but in a unique situation kind of thing. Um, so I, I don't think it, it made for a very great story movie, even though that's what it was trying to be. And for our listeners who love the Kobe conversion camp section, like maybe this section is what makes your week. And in that case, I would be a little bit concerned for you. But just in case that is you, do not worry. Kobe conversion camp. I need my dose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do, yeah. do not worry because we've decided to improvise a little bit and we're now playing by a three strike rule. So Miles gets three strikes and after the third strike, he's out. So we can, I guess, count this as strike number one. Yes, I'm taking one of those strikes this week. So you are down to two strikes, Miles. All right, that's okay. I can deal with that emotionally. Um, Do you have uh, anything to add or maybe explain on behalf of the movie? Yeah, I would say um, I mentioned before that Paul Thomas Anderson is my favorite filmmaker. So he made this. Uh, this is his 
fourth film uh and he is like an auteur filmmaker or he, at least that's how he was i mean that's how he's known today and that's how he was known at the time he made this so people were a, a little bit confused as to like why he cast adam sandler in his movie um if he's made all these like big you know two and a half hour three hour projects before um and he relayed a piece of advice that i kind of i think is really important to me um as kind of an aspiring filmmaker is that every time you make one project your main goal should be after that to get as far away from that idea as you possibly can um so you just make something totally new so his movie before this was um, magnolia which was a three-hour epic of like all these different characters lives converging and, and coincidence and all this stuff so he purposefully took a dramatic turn uh and made a comedy with adam sandler but i think where this movie succeeds is just being kind of very idiosyncratic and well done in like what it's trying to do like you can kind of tell that he wrote this script and then and he had an idea and he totally just made that um in the film and he totally committed to this to these wacky characters and wacky ideas that come to fruition really nicely and really beautifully and one of the ways that this kind of idiosyncratic nature comes to life is in the color and the design of everything um, especially in the cinematography like uh the main character barry uh wears a blue suit for the entirety of the movie um and his tie changes color um kind of inexplic inexplicably but also i think it relates to just how he's feeling in the moment like it turns from uh blue to yellow to red uh uh throughout the movie um and so just little details like that in the color department um really just amaze me and they're not really there for show it's there like kind of as a progression of the character um and just to really put you in his shoes uh and there's a ton of other techniques i could go on about but i'll save that for like the the youtube analysts to figure out I guess. um uh but yeah i'd highly recommend it <clears throat> it's one of my favorite movies um i guess there's not much to like really explain because Co kobe didn't like it so it's unrelated to this segment i i, I just found it like I mean, why did you not like it specifically? Like it just wasn't your vibe or like the story wasn't progressing or what? I, I just didn't really feel like it had that much of a story. Like there were things that happened, but they didn't really seem to have an effect on anybody in particular. Like it was just, it, it just seemed like a sequence of events that all involved the same characters, but without any like growth or change or progression of any kind. Yeah. I should. I don't think we've also mentioned um, Emily Watson's character, who plays his love interest. Um, who she's really great in the movie as well. Um, and I think the progression of the story is kind of just them falling in love. I think uh, with all these other circumstances, kind of on the outside of that, that affect it in multiple ways. But yeah, and maybe that was the part that like didn't really connect with me. It just didn't really see, like I didn't really believe the love because like yeah. it it seemed to me like um, Barry would do something idiotic or stupid or something would happen to him that would be embarrassing. Um, and it would just make her more attracted to him, but she didn't really come across as the type of person to me that would be attracted to those kinds of things. So it just seemed like it was like backwards reactions um, between mm -hmm. the two characters. Well, I think it's, well. And then by the end of the movie, after they've known each other for maybe like a week or two, um, he, maybe it was longer. I have no idea, but like, uh, it, it, they, I mean, Adam Sandler's character, Barry had like completely fallen head over heels, you know, was prepared to leave his whole life behind, um, for this person, which I, I understand is like, you know, I, I've seen that happen in real life and I've seen that happen in movies, but like, I just didn't believe it in this movie. It didn't seem realistic with these characters. I don't think he was going to Maybe I'm misremembering, but I don't well, think he, I am. Like, he, he, gonna... he went to her door after she was in the hospital um, and was like, you know, because she travels a lot. And he was like, you know, I almost have these, uh, the million uh, airline miles from pudding, which I understand 
to Olivia that this makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, it's like a crazy <laughs> plot line with pudding and airline yes. frequent flyer miles. Pudding, but like, like the food pudding? Like okay, the, just like, explain this for a second. There is a uh, a promotion at the grocery store um, where if you buy 10 items uh, of any kind, you get 500 airline miles. Um, and so he figures out that if the, the four packs of pudding count as four items, and he can get the whole pack for a dollar. So he starts buying like thousands of pu- packs of pudding so that he can keep getting more and more airline miles. For and like- it's for no reason. Like he doesn't, he doesn't, he yeah. doesn't travel. No <laughs> oh he my God. No he's never been on a plane before. And he's, and yet he's still doing this. And then, okay, anyways, back to the, the main thing. By the end of the movie, he goes to her door and is like, I'm sorry I wasn't there for you at the hospital, blah, blah, blah. Um, I will have these airline miles from pudding very soon. Uh, in six to eight weeks, the pudding will be redeemable. And it's just like, what are you saying? I don't understand. Like, this is so weird. But but uh, he's like, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm prepared to, you know, like to go wherever you want to. And so it seemed to me like that was him offering to leave his business behind and, uh, you know, everything that his sisters, like all of that behind for this person that he's known for maybe a week I and think hasn't convinced me that he has actually fallen head over heels for it. I mean, I just kind of took that as they were like going on vacation or something like maybe <laughs> I think it has, I see what you're saying in the sense that like, you know, he's saying just give me six to eight weeks and, and wait for this. And, and then we can go like be, you know, a, a real couple and not have to deal with any of this stuff that's been going on for the past hour and a half of the movie. All this crazy kind of what kind of real couple needs to go on vacation in order to be a real couple well they don't need to go on vacation <laughs> but that's just like you know you know he can just that it's kind of like a i guess you know a little bit of a metaphor in the sense that she i mean they have to kind of like accept each other and then once once he gets that pudding and once he gets those like airline miles then they can just you know go off i mean it sounds corny the way i'm saying it like they can just go off and have an adventure or whatever but it's very endearing uh to me to watch that scene and i don't really take it as like he's just going to throw his whole life away it's just i i see it as a, a vacation that is indicative of of you know just a larger them being in a relationship altogether um but i can see where it, i definitely see where you see like the the story not progressing because there's a lot of things that happen like I mean, especially with the pudding, like that whole end of the story is like um, not really like he's gathering all this pudding. You think it's going to lead to something like in the actual plot of the movie. And then like something like 20 minutes from the end, he realizes that it's not going to have any effect on the plot because he can't redeem them for six to eight weeks, which is uh, that stuff. Well, it doesn't like I mean, yeah, it doesn't progress the story. I just find it so funny and like just a weird red herring that has like it doesn't really take up that much space in the film but it's just a funny way to like kind of utilize that um uh and make it interesting i guess and just another mishap in this guy's like insane life uh in in these like you know however long it takes for the story to progress uh yeah and then the final thing that i'd like to mention about it that i think irked me but like not noticeably so it just made the other of things I took offense to in the movie sort of uh, elevated um, was the background noise was really annoying. Like, cause there was like warehouse sounds and stuff like that when he was like at work. Um, and you would hear like, you would hear like sounds that you expect to hear in real life. But for whatever reason in this movie, they really like annoyed me and got on my nerves and were like distracting me from the movie. I don't know why that's never happened to me before in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> but there, something about it there i think there you might be referring to or you might i mean subconsciously be referring to um the music in the film which uses some like real life sounds that aren't actually happening in the background but it sounds kind of like the white noise that you would expect to be there but they're not actually happening it take kind of takes a second to like process in your brain like oh that wasn't that was like part of the music it wasn't part of the the real world um so that I, maybe maybe that was part of it but i feel like there were times when there wasn't music and i was still listening to like an air conditioning unit yeah 
I was like, can you turn that off, please? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I can see that. The, this is a respectable, one of your more respectable opinions. <laughs> I'm recommending. Um, All right. Fair um, enough. Yeah. What are you going to recommend for next week, Miles? Um, let me see. I said I was going to do um, Fear and Loathing, but I'm not sure now. I could do. Um, You've been hyping that movie up for like two weeks. To I mean, I have. I'm afraid I'm. I'm afraid I'm going to get another strike though. Um, <laughs> either kind of thing about either uh, that. What sounds more interesting to you? Um, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, or uh, being John Malkovich, as in like the real John Malkovich, the actor. Is that a documentary? It's a fictional movie <laughs> starring about John Malkovich. About a real person. About a real person. It's a fictional <laughs> movie and it's like science fiction. Wait, does he play himself or no? He plays himself. <laughs> he plays, like on Google, it's listed as John Malkovich as John Horatio Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> so is it like an alter ego or is it him? It's a guy, so... <laughs> A guy named Charlie Kaufman wrote a script called Being John Malkovich, having never met John Malkovich in real life, but just knowing him as an actor and created a, a sci-fi movie that has to do with him, but that he was sure would never get produced. And then it actually got produced. I fucking love Charlie Kaufman. I love Charlie Kaufman. That's He's had some really interesting talks. I think you should choose that one. That one sounds crazy. That's All right. I'll, go, I'll go with Being John Malkovich, I and guess. If, and if that doesn't work, we can... Uh, choose fear and loathing in las vegas that'll be my third strike and then <laughs> uh but yeah well, that'll be so being john malkovich for next week all right sounds good all right Shall yeah on to miles movie madness yeah um i'm gonna talk uh quickly about this one mainly because well partially because uh kobe doesn't like when i talk for extended periods of time <laughs> And he makes a little motion to me that what? I need to hurry up. No, oh, I yeah, love of course. <laughs> okay, but this is a this is also um, it, I guess it's a documentary, but it's a concert movie um, called "Stop Making Sense," directed by Jonathan Demi, who is uh, the director behind "Silence of the Lambs," Philadelphia, as well as many other things. So this is literally it's a concert movie from 1984 that just shows um, the Talking Heads performing and that's it, and it's just really good. It really captures the spirit and the energy of being in a concert, which is something that we have not obviously experienced for a very long time uh, since you know, March of 2020 when COVID affected the world. So it's very, uh, it's very refreshing to see something like this uh, in a time where we can't really do that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's basically like, the appeal of it is just the energy coming from David Byrne, especially, especially, but the whole band and the the people they're working with. So, our, Kobe has his eyes closed, and I'm not sure exactly what he's doing. My eyes? What? Your eyes were closed. No, they're not. I think he's looking down. Oh, you were looking down. I thought you were like having some internal clock of like counting how long <laughs> I was talking. I, I am mentally and physically exhausted, but <laughs> I don't blame you for that. But um. Yeah, so this is, it's just that simple. It's just the band performing and it feels like you're there at a live show. You know, you can see the people in the background moving sets around and that's just how it feels. They don't try to hide anything. It just feels like a performance and that's what it is. So yeah, watch now, it. Do you have to be a fan of this band to be able to appreciate this show, this like movie to its fullest extent? I listened to their album um, Remain in Light once and then watched this movie a week later and I loved it. So I'm definitely not, I wouldn't consider myself like a huge fan, but this kind of made me want to listen to more of their music. Right. Very cool. Yeah, so that's yeah. it. I've been watching like less and less movies because I have actual commitments in school and tests to do that I'm neglecting. Isn't that annoying? I hate, I hate how those keep coming up. Like we're seniors, we should be excused from <laughs> all responsibility. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt, and then I had a realization this week. Like, I'm not going to be able to keep this up for six more months. Like, I have to I know, right? start studying. I kind of, I kind of BS my way through through first semester, and now I'm realizing like this is not going to work. Quarantine has really just amplified the uselessness of school for me in my mind. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. I was already unmotivated. Now it's just like, <laughs> why do I even show up and try? <laughs> I think especially like, it's so bad. Like this is obviously like so tangential. So this is not related to film at all. Maybe it's it's related in the sense that it's stopping us from watching films. But um, my French class is just like, I hope no one, like my teacher doesn't listen to this or something, but it's just very uh, repetitive in the sense of like being online. She says the rules of class for 10 minutes at the beginning of every class, like don't sit on your bed, don't like do this, don't, you know, have drinks or food in the, in, in the desk or whatnot. And it's just so monotonous. Like I definitely get, hear what you're saying, Kobe, but I, you know, I'm trying to move past it, I guess. And that kind of includes just not watching as many movies, unfortunately. To make this conversation more relevant to the fact that we're doing a film podcast, I'm just going to jut in and say, listeners, this is a potential movie idea. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> no one has made a movie about uh, quarantine yet. So that should be interesting. I don't think that's, that's true. A, that's a really original was, idea that we've come there up was with. The, uh, did you see that Netflix made a, a movie called 2020? And it was like, they just interviewed a bunch of famous people about like how much they hated 2020. <laughs> I think I heard about that. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, watch. I saw that. I definitely saw that on Netflix. I did not. I watched like the little blur, but I did not click it. I did not watch it either. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it was terrible, like as it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, right. I believe that we have come to a natural conclusion of episode nine about Inception and Punch Drunk Love. Uh, what yeah. is our movie slated for next week? What didn't we say we had a discussion after last time that was like, yeah, we did make a decision to follow up Inception, I believe. I don't know what that decision was. <laughs> uh, trying to, I'm trying to find the list. Where did the list go? I know the I, list moved. I deleted it because, oh, just, you remember? <laughs> okay. I, I, what I we needed no, that. Well, here's what happened, right? I, I asked you guys, I said, like. I, right now, I just have a list of movies I've already seen and that I already like and I that I don't think you would like. So then we just said, okay, yeah, like get rid of it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Right. didn't you have a secondary, did you have a secondary list though of like the movies that you wanted to see? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, let me look through that real quick. I, I feel uh, like we should just cut the... Yeah, okay, I'll provide an outro then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Kobe has completely frozen. Oh, now he's back. Guys, thank you oh. so much for listening to episode nine. Uh, next week's movie is still, we're still deciding on it. So you'll probably know when the next episode is released as like, yeah. All right. It's hard for the audience to keep up, but that'll, yes. you know, you just have yeah. to do it. It's a, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> All right, Olivia, give us a, a screaming goodbye. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you guys an ASMR goodbye, cause, just because I, I feel like we've already done enough screaming this episode. This was that a very energetic good. episode. But thank you guys so much for listening to our episode this week, and we will see you next week. You need to work on your ASMR. Yeah, I didn't want to completely whisper either, because I don't think my shitty mic would pick it up since I don't actually have a mic. Well, we're just dragging this along. Right, yeah. Tune in next week.